This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Amen. Well, do you believe that you are alive this morning? Amen. But seriously, how do you define living? Like, what does it mean to be alive this morning? Do we define life by having a heartbeat or brain function? Or do we find life differently? Are you content with just being able to exist? Or do you want to exist for something more? Do you want to actually live or just simply be alive? Does being alive mean living? Or do you separate the two out and you're trying to figure out, how can I be alive and live? I want to enjoy the life that I have. Is your life beating a heartbeat that, that rages on, brain activity that continues on? Is it relationships or provisions? Is it what you have? What does it mean to be alive? You see, the whole world is striving for more and more and more, excess upon excess. But the thing about it is when the world finds its excess, it always wants more. Did you ever, did you realize that continually throughout life uh, and throughout the lifespan of nations and people groups and even businesses, we find that when people get what they want, they typically become discontent. They want more. They want different. Not only that, but they usually and typically become somewhat greedy and then ultimately corrupt and finally they're destroyed. They usually destroy themselves from the inside out because of what they have. Things that they wanted actually become their end. So what does it mean to be living? What do you want more of? Have you ever asked yourself, if I'm going to live more, better, then I need to have this more. Well, what is it that you need to live better? What do you need to understand today to understand how to truly live? On Friday, we uh, remembered Christ's death on the cross and burial in the tomb. That this whole world wants to cancel you because of your mistakes, but Christ canceled your mistakes. To remember that every sin and every power of sin over us died in the tomb and on the cross. I want to show you this morning in Colossians 2, verses 12-14, through 14, that we were buried with Him, that we raised with Him, and that we have life with him. It's my main point for you this morning, but it's also something I truly want for each one of us today, this morning, that we truly understand what it means to have a life in Christ because we've been raised from the dead and we've been buried with Christ. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, we we set this in the context of what we discovered on Friday night, that every sin and power of sin has died on the cross and was buried in the tomb, and it's there. Don't bring it back. It's dead. It's gone. It's erased. It's canceled. So we don't bring it back into our lives. Now, I want to give you three 
critical uh, words in the Greek for this morning. Now, this is why they're so important. They're not typically, uh, uh, they're, they're only used one, one time outside of this passage, okay? Ephesians 2 and Romans 6. They're only used one time outside of this passage. But not only that, they're extremely rare words in general because what they actually do is take two words and combine them into one. We do this in English occasionally, right? But this is specifically uh, within two, uh, three verses, there are three words that are only used one time outside of this passage and are two words combined into one and all carry the same meaning. And this is the meaning. You're with Christ. But Paul wants us to understand this passage is that we are with Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that Christ raised from the dead? If you believe Christ raised from the dead, then we also believe that we raised from the dead. That with Christ we were buried, but with Christ we have raised, and with Christ we have life. Now three words show us this. In Greek, they mean with, uh, buried with, uh, raised with, and alive with. In order for us to understand what it means to live, we've got to first understand what it meant to die, what it meant to raise from the dead, and now what it means to live with Christ. There's no life outside of Christ, we would argue from Scripture. And so I want to show you in these passages what it means to have life. First, you died with Him. In order for something to grow, oftentimes something has to, has to die. We know this about gardens. We know this every year when we plant new things. We even know this when, when new things uh, that died continue to live, like perennials, where they just continue on in their life uh, span, like grass. What do you have to put on it? Dead stuff. Dead things make new things live better. It's amazing how much death is necessary for life to continue. Uh, with plants, but, but also even in our own lives. We think about death so often physically. But what about, what about spiritual death? What about things that must die in order to live? What about Adam and Eve in the garden? You remember the story. Adam and Eve in the garden, everything was perfect and everything was good. Jesus, uh, God the Father, uh, Jesus, Holy Spirit, all there declare us to be very good. Things are good and very good. Right? Then comes evil. Evil brings about uh, death. But death is spiritual, not physical. For Adam and Eve don't die in the moment. They will die because of their spiritual death. But really what that death that takes place for Adam and Eve in that moment is spiritual. So when Paul says you died with him, it literally says in uh, uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, you were buried with him. When he says you were buried with him in baptism, what does that mean for us today? It means that we have literally, spiritually, we are in union with, we died with, buried with Christ. Have you ever thought about everything that is wicked and evil and wrong in life um, on the cross and in the tomb, buried, dead, gone, erased, it's no more? See, sometimes we think about how Christ was was, uh, uh, crucified on the cross and then buried in the tomb. But Paul tells us that we've been buried with Christ. And it's not just in this passage. If it were, we'd have to do some really theological research to make sure we're coming in. It's actually in Romans 6, too. That the, the reason that sin has no power over you anymore is because on the cross and in the tomb, the power of sin that once held power over you died. It's dead. It's gone. On the cross and in the tomb, the power of sin died. Verse 14 helps us understand this, right? 
It says he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. All that was against us, all the guilt, at least two things, guilt and power, died in that, in that tomb. At least guilt and power. Now think about what kind of life that brings in you. Think about what kind of promise that has for you. What if, what if it truly did die on the cross? What if the power of sin over you died on the cross, was buried in the tomb? Then what raised from the tomb? We have to ask the question, what comes off the cross and what raised from the tomb? And if only Christ raised from the tomb, then your sin did not raise up out of that tomb. The power of sin and death was, uh, was defeated in that tomb, and it didn't raise up out of that tomb. Instead, what comes up out of that tomb is your Savior, Jesus Christ, who's offered you freedom and forgiveness from the guilt of sin and from the power of sin. We have freedom. And so Romans 6 wants us to understand our freedom so that we can live. What would it be like to live without jealousy in your life? What would it be like to live without anger in your life? What would it feel like to not be selfish in your life? You see, a lot of people look at Christianity and they kind of judge Christianity on the outside. It's like, man, you have all these rules and regulations. And I want to just be like, look, look tell me about your relationships. Do you want like a, are you, is your goal, uh, men, to find a wife who's just like super jealous? Are you like, man, all right, let's figure out what the perfect wife is. I'm going to write down on my list. I really want her to be selfish, jealous, angry, perfect. Like, that's not what we do, right? And, and ladies, you don't look for a man, and you're like, man, he's got serious anger problems. This is going to be awesome. I finally found my dream man. We don't look for that in life. And some of you are sitting here today, and you're like, man, but I struggle with that, Matt. And I'm like, I understand. I get it, but what I'm telling you is this. On the cross and in the tomb, Jesus Christ destroyed all power of sin over you. And you see, this world wants to look at Christianity and be like, man, y'all got all these rules and regulations. I'm like, so do you. You just don't say them. You're not building friendships out of hate. You're not building friendships out of uh, uh, being selfish and jealousy. And those relationships that are built that way aren't lasting. What I'm just telling you is I have a Savior who's willing to help you discover freedom and forgiveness so that you can live in a way that's not selfish, not angry, not jealous, and not hateful. And you're like, well, Matt, I don't murder. And I'm like, okay, but, but take a step back. Doesn't jealousy rob you of great relationships? Doesn't selfishness rob you of a great marriage? Doesn't anger destroy that thing that you once loved? What will rob you of your children? What is it that's going to rob you of your friendships today? So think about it like this. What's going to rob you of life today? Most of you probably aren't going to go out and commit a crime that's going to wind you up in jail today. I hope not. But many of you are going to take a step, one more step, towards hell on earth. And then one more step towards hell on earth. And sin feels like it's got a hold of you. And you wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't even understand if I'm going to be able to overcome this sin today. And what I'm telling you is that sin, that power, that enslavement, that thing that once owned you died on the cross. And the more you hold it on your life and in your life, and the more you let it control your life, what you're saying is, Jesus, thanks for dying on the cross and, and being buried in the tomb. I see that sin and that power that was buried in the tomb and that you, you defeated and you, and you literally gave your life up for. That sin that's in there, can you just give it back to me a little bit today? 
I just need to make sure that I can have it today. I know you died for it, but I just need it today. And I believe that you died for it. I believe that you're victorious over it. I just want it today. We start to go like from life, like God promised you life, and you step back into death, and you're like, I just need to get in the tomb for a moment. You died with him. Christ died on the cross and was buried in the tomb. But Colossians 2 and Romans 6 tells us that we died, we were buried with him. Because every single thing about us that was wicked and evil, the power of sin over us, died on the cross. Do you believe this today? The second thing I want you to remember this morning, knowing that Christ raised from the dead, you said you believe it. Believe that if He raised from the dead, you're also with Him in that resurrection. If your sin is dead, if the power of sin over you is dead in the tomb, then you're not there anymore because you raised with Christ. You came up out of that tomb. It doesn't define you, and that death doesn't define you anymore. If you're walking around like, I got a beating heart, and I got brain activity, I want to remind you of something. God, God has so much more for you. You're not to be laying in a tomb dead. You're to be alive with Christ. To be resurrected from the dead with Christ means to live today the way Adam couldn't. You think about resurrected and you're like, okay, resurrected means that somebody's physically dead and now they're alive. Like we think about it like modern TV, like zombies and stuff like that. Or maybe somebody was uh, passed away and then they brought them back to life through an ambulance or in the hospital or something like that. We think about it that way. But have you thought about it in the way of your spiritual life? Have you thought about it in your emotional life? Like those things that once held you back are dead and now I'm coming to life. That's what Adam needed. You could have given Adam life for eternity, he would experience hell on earth still. Right? Like people don't long just to live physically, people long to live. People don't long to just live physically. People long to live. It's why people have life today but are miserable. You don't just want a beating heart. You want to live with that beating heart. And so when Jesus raised you from the dead, He gave you something new. The ability to live without that jealousy that controls you, that selfishness that controls you, that anger that controls you. And I'm here to challenge you today. Give it up. Let it die. Let it be slayed by Christ. Spurgeon says this. He says, he says uh, sin will be killing you or you'll be killing sin. Like you got one option. You, get, you can choose one or the other. Go on the path that you want to go on, but sin will be killing you or you'll be killing sin. One or the other. And you've been raised with him. Let it be killed. Let it be dead. Leave it in the tomb. Don't bring it into your life. Don't bring it into your relationships. Don't bring it into your church. Don't bring it into this community. Don't bring it into this world. Let it die. You were buried with Christ. You were raised with him. Live like you were raised. And that's my third point. Live with Him. Simply put, just live with Him. What does it mean? What would it mean for you in your life as you define out what is life and what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean for you to live with Christ? Like knowing that God is with you and that God has overcome the things of this world. What does it mean for God to live with you? All right, I'm going to put this in four, four ways for you today. As you walk away, I want this to be able to apply to you in four different ways today. All right? First, I want you uh, to not live being burdened by evil within you. You see, living is not being burdened by the evil that is within us. We weren't created to be full of guilt, and we weren't created to be full of the power of sin. Those two things are what were, what were left in the tomb. You today are not, not intended to live with guilt or the power of sin. 
Why? Because you were never created for it. In the Garden of Eden, God didn't look at you and like, hey, I'm going to create this human being and I'm going to make them feel really bad about themselves. Like, he didn't create you and he was like, I'm going to make them be slaves to sin and they're always going to be jealous and always be hateful. God didn't create you that way. That's not his intention for you. So why do we step into it? Why, knowing that, the, that it's been tacked onto the cross and it's there forever in a tomb dead, why would we want to pull that up in our life? I want you to experience a life that is outside of the burden of, under, of believing that you are guilty and believing that you have no power to overcome. I want you to discover life without it, without guilt and without slavery to sin. The second thing I want you to know is living is not being burdened by evil around us. Y'all with me on this one? Every Friday you experience on earth can't overpower your Sunday. Every Friday you experience on earth cannot overpower your Sunday. Friday wasn't the end. It wasn't the final word. When Jesus said it, was, it is finished, tetelestai on the cross, it didn't mean that he was finished. He meant it was finished. And some of us live like he is finished rather than it is finished. In your life, if you're living like, like your sin's not finished, then what you're saying is Jesus is finished. Because in the tomb, Jesus came out and sin died in. When he says it is finished, it doesn't mean he's finished. Y'all with me? Every Friday you experience on earth, remember, Sunday is coming. Friday, man, it looks like defeat. You feel like defeat. Sometimes if you feel like you're stuck in the tomb, it feels like defeat, but Sunday's coming. Right as the famous pastor said, Sunday's a coming. And so today, you may feel like you're living in a Friday. Maybe this month you felt like you're living in a Friday. You're like, Matt, I feel like I'm in the tomb. Matt, I feel like people around me are in the tomb. Matt, I feel like this world is in the tomb. And I want to remind you, Sunday is coming. Easter was victorious. Resurrection Sunday is the victory celebrate. Today is the day that we remember that Friday does not define our lives. And so living is knowing that Fridays aren't the end. Friday's not our destination. Sunday is. So my third thing for you is this. Living is understanding our purpose beyond our physical existence. If we're going to understand that it's not finished and that we're going to continue on living, what does it mean to continue on living? Well, first, we've got to find our purpose in life. What is your purpose in life? Did you know that... I, can't, I apologize. I can't give you your everybody in here's purpose in life right now in this moment. But I can tell you that everybody in this room has a purpose. I can give you an overarching purpose to enjoy God's goodness forever and to bring Him glory. To enjoy Him, His goodness, and to bring Him glory. I can give you that as an overarching, that is your purpose in life. No matter what you do, if you're a wife, a mom, dad, husband, uh, um, maybe you're a cook or you work in the business or you're a student right now or in college, it doesn't matter. You have the same purpose. Bring God glory and enjoy His goodness forever with Him. Like, that's your purpose, okay? But with specific purposes, here's what I know. Did you know that two mature trees can produce enough oxygen for four human beings to live? That's insane to me. I didn't know. I didn't know how many it took, Lisette. Like, I think when I think about those kind of things, I think about Lisette. Lisette studies these kind of things, and I'm like, two trees, enough oxygen for a human being to, four human beings to live. It's crazy. It's really awesome. Did you know that Lake Superior holds enough water within it to give 16 trillion people water for a year? Or sustain, actually just to sustain them. 16 trillion people. We have less than 10 billion people on this planet. And it can provide water for 16 trillion people. Lake Superior. The sun has enough power in it 
that its light, just its light, what it's giving off in 40 minutes could power our entire world for a year. 40 minutes could power our entire world for a year. It's unbelievable. From every tree to the lakes to the sun, God gave purpose to His creation to give you life so that you could live. There's purpose for His creation and there's purpose for you. But remember this, the same God that can create a tree for four, can uh, create a lake superior for 16 trillion, and can create a sun that is capable of giving electricity to a world from 40 minutes. In 40 minutes, that same God who created all these things lives inside of you. If that same God lives inside of you, then what can He not do? What could He not do? What What could He possibly not do in your life? What sin could He possibly not overcome? What relationship could he possibly not restore? What can that kind of God do? You see, I don't want to just know about trees. I don't want to just breathe in the oxygen. I don't want to just drink from Lake Superior. And I don't want to just feel the radiant heat of the sun. I want to know the God who created all of it. And that is what resurrection is all about. You see, all of creation, Romans 8 tells us, that all of creation longs for God to restore it. Second Peter tells us this. Revelation 21 tells us this. It's all longing for God to restore it because living is enjoying God's good creation and resurrection is restoring God's creation to good. And so if we're going to enjoy God's good creation, we have to understand what resurrection is doing. If we buried with Him, that sin's gone. If we're alive, uh, resurrected with Him, we have a new way of living, and that way of living is in God's good creation. Don't bring it back. Don't let that sin creep back in. Don't let that evil creep back in. Don't let those relationships continue to be broken. Let's do something about it today. Let it die. Be slayed. Let it be uh, uh, eradicated, erased. That certificate's gone. That sin's abolished. Live. And so what does it mean to live? It means to understand what God has created this world for in the first place. What is good? What does the garden look like? What does God want for you? Surely it's not jealousy, selfishness, anger. Surely it's not a lack of self-control. Surely it's not cheating on one another or cheating towards one another or any type of cheating. Surely it's not stealing. Surely it's not hurting. So what does the goodness look like on earth? That, if you can understand that and you can find that, you can understand what God wants for you. You can understand purpose. You can understand life even more clearly. So what is heaven like? Heaven is a place where there is no jealousy where there's no anger, where there's no backstabbing, where there's no lying to one another, where there's no cheating, where there's no disease or medical care, where there's no glasses or hearing aids. There's no tears of sorrow. There's no loss of family or friends. But the best part of heaven is not what is restored. It's the one who restores. Um, My son has a uh, blanket. It's a green blanket, and on top of it, it's got superheroes. But that's my blanket. It was given to me by my grandmother. Her name's Nanny. She died 18 years ago. Um, I love my Nanny, and I know this to be true. I believe she's in heaven because of her faith and her works and the consistency of that with Scripture. I believe she's in heaven now with Jesus. And I can have that kind of confidence. But I've got her blanket here today, right? Like I have her blanket. The blanket she made me is now my, one of my son's favorite blankets. And I'm so thankful that it is. Every time I see it, I think about her. I think about what she meant to me. But she also gave me something else by way of my mom. The Joy of Gardening. A book about how to garden. 
because she was a master gardener. She had a wonderful garden that I got to shell peas and, and uh, get uh, corn and, and all sorts of different uh, vegetables and uh, um, fruits out of. I, I specifically like okra, especially. All these good things that came out of this. I really enjoyed walking the rows of my nanny's garden. Even till the day she passed, she still had a garden. Most of the meals that I ate at dinner time were meals out of the garden. Right? Like, my nanny had an awesome garden, and now today I'm trying to carry on that tradition in a much smaller and much more ineffective garden. <laughs> but I'm learning from her still, even to the point where she actually has some of her writing in, in, throughout this book. And I know many of you today have lost someone that you love. And maybe you have something that you remember them by. Maybe they, said they left you with something that you now cherish today. Like my book and the blanket I remember my nanny by. You have somebody that you really loved, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, or even a child. All of those things we love. Now when you think about it though, I would give up every blanket, book, and anything she's ever given me to have her. I would think that each one of you would give away everything that you have cherished from that individual whom you love so much. You'd give all of it away just to have them for one more moment. She was my she was inspiration. She was my encouragement. I loved her. And I'd give it all away to have her. And I think sometimes in life, as we go about our daily lives, what we forget is we have everything in this world. Lots of good things, some bad things. And we all sometimes enjoy those things, good or bad. Sometimes we overindulge and underindulge. Whatever it is that we have a lot of things that have been given to us by God. And it's so easily, easy to have those things and to think that those things are what we need and what are good and to forget that we should give all those things away knowing that we could have access to a God who loves us. There's nothing in this world that compares to the relationship that we have with God. In heaven, it's not going to be because there's no tears and no jealousy and no anger and no hate and that we have everything in plenty and that we have a wonderful feast and that we have each other restored again. It's going to be because we have God. And I want to tell you today, the beauty of the resurrection is this, that we were buried with Him, we were raised with Him, and now we live with Him. There's nothing greater I can tell you than that you don't just have the artifacts or cherish the things of God or that He's just giving you things, but you actually have God with you. That's the beauty of Resurrection Sunday. Life with God. And so this morning as the worship team comes forward, I want to challenge you. and Give it all up. Give up all those things in this world that cause you to be held back from the life that God has for you. Let it die in the tomb. Let it be erased forever. Let it go. I think that there's probably men and women, young men and women, even children in this room today, that won't admit the difficulty that they have in their life or the sin that they have in their life. And what you're doing is you're basically saying that you're, you would rather hold on to sin, hold on to wickedness that is causing death in your life, than let it die in the tomb. And I want to encourage you this morning to recognize it for what it is. It's trying to wreck your life. It's trying to still kill and destroy you. It says it in Scripture, John 10, 10, 
It tells you this. We know this. It wants to destroy everything that you have. Let it die on the cross and be buried in the tomb and leave it there because you're raised from the dead. Come live. Come live with my God. So for those who are in this, here this morning, you're like, man, I, I have a lot of sin in my plate. I have a lot of sin in my life. I have a lot of evil things in my life. I'm not here to just make you feel bad. I surely am not here to make you feel guilty. It's not what the gospel is all about. No, I want to offer you forgiveness and freedom. I want to offer you what you can't find anywhere else in this world. You can only find in Jesus because he tacked it onto the cross and it's dead there. I want to offer you forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The passage says, have faith in the God who can work. I'm asking you this morning to have faith that God can work in your life a miracle. No matter where you are, no matter what you're tangled up in, no matter what you're hurting from, no matter what place you are in your faith journey, God can work a miracle in your life. The same God that can give energy to a sun and water to a lake and oxygen to a tree can perform a miracle in you. So I have two challenges for you this morning as you walk away. First, come alive. Let those things die. Come alive. Maybe you need to talk to somebody today about it. Talk to somebody around you or come talk to me up front. Man, you don't have to come up front if you don't want to. If you're like, man, I need to talk about this privately. Come talk to me later. Email me. Call us. Whatever. We would love to talk to you. And we'll walk through these things. Second is, uh, um, I want you in your life to understand what it means to live fully every single day. And so I'm going to give you four things. Very simple. If this is your first time back in church in a long time, I'm just going to give you four things. Really simple. Word, people. Prayer, praise. Word, people, prayer, praise. Be with God's people. Be with God's word. Be in prayer and be in praise. When you need something and you're desperate for it, pray to a God who gives. When you're thankful for something because God's already provided it, praise Him for it. When you are um, every, every morning and every day and through the night, be in God's word. It's life-giving. It's sustaining. It's truth. And then finally, be with God's people. So it's just four simple things. You want to be with God's people because you want to be. You need encouragement. You need restoration through this life. Be around God's people. Don't hold back. Be open and honest, and you'll fight through this life with God's power and overcome the junk and filth of this world that wants to rob you of life. So, what is life? And are you living? Are you free and forgiven? Have you taken hold of God's good creation, which He declared to be very good? Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and trust you. We believe in you. We know that you can work in our lives to do miraculous things. If you can work to bring about the, all of creation and all of the universe and all of its perplexities and unimaginable depths for every tree and lake, for every sunset, for all these things, if you can do them, you can work miracles in our lives. So I pray, God, this morning you will perform a miracle in somebody's life. Bring them from death into life. Bring them from slavery to sin to freedom in your name. Forgive them of their sins and purify them from all that junk and filth in their life. I pray, God, you would restore somebody today, restore a relationship today. Would you, God, move in this place? We love you and trust you in your son's name. Amen.
crowned with glory now and the Savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we
Let's go, church. Y'all ready? I can't wait to see how God works in each one of your lives. May you go remembering your sin in the midst of darkness to light it up. If you don't have community, let us know. We want to get you community. This Wednesday, we launch Group Launch. It is getting you connected with groups at Westminster Baptist Church. So if you don't have a community of 10 to 12 people, we believe you should do life in that way because it's what Jesus did. So we want to connect you with it. If you're right now thinking, man, I need to change. I need to do something different. Let's start there. All right? Let us know. Contact us. You can email us. Call us. We'll get you connected with Pastor Glenn, and we're going to do this together. I think I might see him. He's right there. Nice suit. Outside these doors. Wonderful beard. You can tell him I said that. 
We'll see you guys next week. Love y'all. Go with victory. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey. <laughs>